0: To the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Cooper, alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty One Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We are talking about playoffs today. Playoffs? Yes, of course. We are talking about playoffs. It's the annual playoff preview show here on the Canadian Football Countdown. One of my favorite episodes of the podcast we get to do every year because the regular season has come and gone. Six teams are left, three weeks left in the schedule until one team takes home the ultimate prize. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to go through an in depth preview for the first two games of the playoffs here today, get into our full picks for the full playoff bracket and ultimately who we think is going to come home with the great cup. Of course, we have to welcome in the man of the hour, the hardest working man in broadcasting, just coming off of 26 hockey broadcasts in seven days. It's the great Michael Garrow. Mike, I don't know if I want to ask how you're doing right now because I'm assuming the answer is exhausted, but I'll ask anyways. How are you doing? I am good.
1: I am good. Um, I just want to apologize to people in this podcast. Uh, but if there are an over exuberant amount of hockey references, I have literally lived in a hockey range for the last week. So I have seen just about everything there is. So, advanced apologies if a few hockey analogies find their way into this podcast.
0: And of course, if you want to check out any of Mike's hockey stuff, uh, Game Time TV MB on both Facebook and Instagram, correct? Yep. And of course, we'll plug that at the end of the show as well. Uh, It's been two weeks since we've been here on the podcast. We had the final two weeks of the regular season. Uh, It was interesting, I'll say. You know, we saw a lot of teams resting, a lot of guys in those final few weeks. We had a couple of dud games as a result. You know, I saw a lot of people saying on Twitter, we finally got the preseason we wanted uh, earlier this year, which just happened to be at the end of the season. We're not going to go in depth on any of those games in particular, I don't think, here, because uh, we do want to focus on the playoffs. I'm sure we'll talk about them a little bit as we talk about the teams playing this week and, of course, in some of our off-season shows as well. But uh, the hot topic, unplayoff-related right now, is the Edmonton Elks who just finished playing three games in six days. It's not quite six games or 26 games in seven, but it's six, three games in six days. I can't even get the numbers straight. And it didn't go so well, if we're being real. They, they did they did pick up a win over the Toronto Argonauts in the first one this week, but did fall to the BC Lions pretty handily in the second game, looked absolutely exhausted not the year elks fans or the organization wanted and as a result of that this week announcing that team president uh general manager and head coach all let go by the edmonton elks uh your thoughts on this both this them playing their three games this week and the uh letting those guys all go
1: Well, wasn't it just like two weeks ago or ten days ago where I don't know who it was that said that it looked like Alzondo and Brock Sunderland would be back? Obviously, that was a little bit premature when, you know, the bosses, bosses, bosses start to meet. Um, I'll be honest, I was The eyebrows that were raised when I guess the door was left open for those individuals to return kind of surprised me. But this, in my mind, had to happen. Just on the sole purpose of your ticket-buying public, I sent you a message that they are discontent with the product not only on the field but in the stands and in general and I know it's only been less than a year under this else moniker but I, I can't envision a scenario in which they envisioned it to go any worse than it has and You know, Edmonton is a proud, proud football uh, hotbed. Uh, They have junior football. They have, you know, a very good um, university program at the University of Alberta. And, of course, they have the Elts. For a is to completely shut down on a football team, as was evidenced by the attendance this year, does a lot, and you know it's one of those instances where I don't think they were allowed put the choice based on the people that pay your bills also have a lot of say and I don't know about you, but there's no greater noise and no greater message sending than fans not attending games and it's also sounds like unfortunately that once you're in the game itself, there doesn't seem to be a hyped-up interest to have you want to come back, not let alone the COVID outbreak scenario, which, you know, wasn't handled very well, unfortunately. But that being said, I don't believe that to be the singular factor you know, of this decision-making. It just makes me wonder, okay, the outs were the only team with a, a, you know, sizable COVID outbreak and the only team that had games canceled. What did they do that the other teams didn't do? But at the end of the day, that's also not the sole reason for this. And they had to do this to rescue the brand. And the pride of Edmonton football. And now it's time to start over again. And I don't want to say Edmonton is where Winnipeg was when the whole Joe match era came to an end. I don't think it's nearly that bad. But they need to get this hire right. And they need to take their time with it. And they need to put the right individuals in, in in place, and that's kind of my opening thought. I have more thoughts on the scenario, but I'll, I'll let you weigh in a little bit, Ryan, and then I'll kind of pick up on some other thoughts that I have kind of after the fact.
0: Yeah, so for me, and a lot of my thoughts are the same sentiments I've seen from plenty of people on Twitter, and they're no, by no means you know necessarily original thoughts that solely of my own, Uh, I agree with a lot of the things I've seen and I've thought of them certainly as well is a the salary cap on coaches and personnel you've got these these guys Elizondo and Sunderland that are they are still going to need to pay because they were still under contract for next year now I believe if I was reading correctly they can spread the wages out kind of over the next five years or so. But now you got to come in and bring and pay new coaches. And it's really hard to do with this salary cap if you let guys go. And now you've got two guys that you got to account for that aren't going to be with your football team. So you start thinking of okay, who's going to be the candidates to come in and, and fill these roles? Well, maybe you need to start looking at a guy that could be filling both roles for your team, you know, one contract that can handle both. Of course, they're going to be want to be paid a little more, so I don't know if that necessarily balances out. But I'll tell you, the first name that came to my mind as soon as I saw these vacancies is uh, Chris Jones. Came back from coaching high school football to take over a defensive role with the Argos. In my mind, I would not be shocked in the slightest to see Chris Jones come back to Edmonton and take that head coach and GM role next year. Is it the right fit? No, I don't know it. I don't know that it is, but I, I think this is a team that's going to be having a hard time now finding based on the cap situations, finding, you know, guys to fill those roles. We might see, you know, a couple of guys on entry level deals come in and fill say the coach position there in Edmonton this year. And, and I'm interested to see what that search is going to look like. Cause you take Ottawa's search on one hand, they need a new general manager. You take Edmonton's on the other hand. Well, Ottawa side of things, you have a team where, you know, the, they're kind of lacking the talent a little bit, but, but it seems like, you know, the core culture, I'll use the words that have come up a lot here, of the team, it seems to be there for the most part. You know, in the couple games this year where they were playing well, we saw them having a blast there together. Then you take the Edmonton side of things. They have all the talent on their roster right now, but just don't have the chemistry connection. So I'm interested to see Who as a general manager comes in, what they're going to try to do with the team and what they do from a head coaching standpoint to rein that in a little bit. That's my first major thought when it came to this. The second thought is, and this is one I've seen a lot is. What has changed in the last 10 days that led them to decide, you know, the ownership group for this team that, that, that they were going to let these guys go because. You know, in the last two, three weeks, maybe it wasn't 10 days, but in the last two, three weeks ago is when they made the trade with the Argos to bring in Nick Arbuckle and then signed him to a nice big starters contract for next season. And what they end up doing, they didn't play Arbuckle once down the stretch. Now, I understand that it was a uh, tricky situation. You know, he really didn't get much time to practice with the offense. You don't want to throw your new quarterback into a game necessarily, but now whoever's coming in next year has Nick Arbuckle under contract has never, he's never played in Elks uniform. And it almost seems like whoever's coming in is a little heavy handed with being stuck with that contract. You have to wonder if the ownership group was planning on making this transition anyways, should they have made it a couple weeks earlier to not be left with, you know, Sunderland saying, yeah, I'll try to save my job and bring in a quarterback and it already being too little too late.
1: Yeah. It's a very interesting scenario. And the other part of it, and you kind of touched on my last point here. It sounds like they want to put the general manager and the coach in place before they put the president in place. Interesting. Like, to, 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 to me, that's backwards. Right, because now you're saying, okay, to your new president that comes in, you have to work with these guys. These are the guys that we have in place, and you need to work with them. To me, the hierarchy is backwards over there, and and I don't know the full workings of what of what's going on, but it, to me, I think it raises a bigger question of exactly what you said. Now you basically committed to a quarterback. Uh, for next year, but seemingly that starter's money hasn't really proven anything this year because he's been, you know, injured so much. How is this new general manager going to feel about being pushed to the wall when it comes to this guy, your starting quarterback? And he might say, you know what? No, 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 no. I want to bring in my own guy. And it's kind of that scenario of you putting your new management in a not-so-favorable position to start. And I have to wonder, and I don't know anybody personally on the board of directors of the Edmonton Football Club, but shouldn't the magnifying glass be pointed to those individuals just a little bit with the way this whole thing has been handled? And, you know, eventually... You want to be in a a scenario where you want to correct your mistakes. Well, it seems like they're making mistakes before they even bring in the new management. I hope I'm wrong, but there already seems to be some fumbling of the football when it comes to what's going to be happening uh, when these new individuals come in. And the interesting part is they hired Wally Buono as a consultant. That's very, very interesting to me. And I'm not going tell you that Wally Buono didn't be the new general manager or the president of the Edmonton Elks. To me, it's just curious that you you would rely on Wally Buono's experience uh, to uh, find a hire for your scenario. And maybe that's because they don't really know which direction to handle or need to be an advisor and say, yeah, you should be looking for this, and you should be looking for that. You you bring in, you just brought up Chris Jones. I'm going to say that I wouldn't be that surprised if Wally Buono was the general manager of the Edmonton Elks next year. That would be wild. I To, to me, the storyline is there. And, you know, it, he didn't have close and intimate conversations with the board of directors as far as who to bring in, you, you can't help but wonder if over the course of those conversations, they don't see a Wally Buono is the right guy, at least temporarily, to kind of give the brand that name recognition. You know what I mean? Like, Wally's in, in charge. Fins are going to be okay based on his previous track record. I also don't believe the end of his tenure in BC was his fault as much as people were led to believe. I think he was behind the gun from ownership, and to me, I think the juicy storylines are like what I said with Wally Buono and then with Chris Jones. I I think you know that, that would just be way too uh, interesting, and then where they go uh, with general manager, I guess remains to be seen, but. You know, you've you've kind of you paid the price financially to clean up this mess that you created. Now how do you plan to spend money the right way to make sure that a new foundation is built? And that's gonna be very, very intriguing for me. And I think it is a franchise defining decision that needs to be made here in Edmonton, which is going to set the course of the franchise for the next five to 10 years and a new generation of uh, Edmonton Outband and a new generation of CFL band as a whole.
0: Well, let's move on. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more else throughout the offseason, especially as it uh, pertains to their coach and general manager search and everything to do with the team, of course. Uh, let's, before we get into starting to preview the 2021 playoffs, we got a couple things to wrap up here with the regular season. Uh, let's touch on the fantasy leagues. Uh, The Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League, I unfortunately did lose in my final Week 16 matchup to uh, Mike from the Podski Wee Wee podcast, which means I blew it in the final week in the race for first place in the regular season standings. Uh, 11-5 finish on the year. Andrew from the Turf District ended up taking the first overall spot and the regular season crowned six teams in the playoffs, just like the CFL. Uh, Andrew from the Turf District and myself both have buys in round one. Uh, we have uh, Mike from Podsky Wee taking on Joe Pritchard from the Rouge, White and Blue podcast. We also have Safamod from the piffles podcast taking on Superfan Mike from the Turf District in round one of the playoffs. And I will await my opponent in the semifinals, much like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Toronto Argonauts. One win away from making it to the championship finals. Uh, check out all of the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And uh, congratulations to Mike from Podski Wee for beating me this week. And also congratulations to uh, both Mike and Josh on the 200th episode of the Podski Weewe podcast this week. The, the big two hundred. Congratulations to them. Uh, and then we get into our season long fantasy league. The uh, second annual Canadian football countdown fantasy draft took place this year. Mike and I have been going back and forth all season long and coming into the final week of the season. We were separated by just five points in our overall standings. I have the results. I've been sitting on them for five years. three, four days, whatever it's been. I have not told Mike yet. Mike gets the live reveal here on the podcast. Mike, what are you thinking here before I reveal the results?
1: I have no idea. All I know is it was close into the last day of the season. Uh, But I have not checked the numbers myself. Uh, I know that I had a Calgary Kitter that was... uh, Pretty much came to life in the last key of the season, but game of the season, but I have no idea how it went down.
0: Well, let me tee it up with this. Let me tease you on this a little bit. One Michael Garrell had the forethought to put, to add to his, his active roster, the great Nathan Rourke, who had himself a fantastic weekend and uh, put up the top fantasy performance of any quarterback all season long with over 35 points. He did not start him in his roster for week number 16, though. He ended up starting Antonio Pipkin at quarterback, who did put up a solid 16 points, though. Mike, if you would have started Nathan Rourke, you would have absolutely ran away with it. But... Oh, I
1: I know. I know. Don't remind me.
0: But... It did not matter. Michael Garrell pulls out the win by about 30 points, 1855.8 to 1826.5 on the season. Congratulations to you, sir. You're bringing home the hardware in season number two. yeah, yeah. Um,
1: That is good. Now, the only negative thing about it is you just telling me now, so I didn't address the Time to prepare for a victory speech, but that's <laughs> not me. I will just take my victory and move on, and I'll say, see you next year. Right on, right on.
0: It was a great battle all the way through. Uh, different strategies going into the final week. Uh, I lean heavily on the Elks with their two games, and uh, I got I got destroyed because of that. You know, Taylor Cornelius was my quarterback, put up a combined 4.7 points. I also had the, the oopsie of putting A.J. Ouellette in my lineup, who was listed as the Argos starter and didn't get a single touch. Uh, so, yeah, not, not the best final week for me when it comes to fantasy football. Uh, Blue the a chance at first place in both leagues, but uh, a well-deserved win by you, sir. Uh, and I am uh, going to come back stronger next year and hope to take back the title uh, as we uh, wrap up the uh, the fantasy draft for this year. We're not continuing this one into the playoffs. We're ending it here at the regular season, and Mike takes home the championship. As we move into talking about the six CFL teams vying for their own championship, uh, Great Cup, you know, probably not quite as prestigious as our Fantasy League non-existent trophy, but... Uh, you know it's got a storied history. Teams want to win it, so let's talk about the teams that are trying to do so. And uh, we have both Winnipeg and Toronto on a bye this week. They locked up first place in their divisions. Uh, now, quick thoughts. I, I want to save most of the Bombers and the Argos talk for next week. We knew the Bombers locked up first uh, a week, a couple weeks ago already, but it came down to the wire with the Argos in the final. Two weeks of the season. Uh, what do you think of Toronto finishing first in the East?
1: Yeah, I I don't think it was much of a surprise based on the wins that they were able to, to culminate down the stretch. My concern with Toronto is they're not your prototypical runaway with first place kind of team. And I'll say this right here, right now. I don't believe that they will win the East Division because quite honestly, I do not trust their quarterback. And I am really surprised that they elected to go with the club at Thompson. He got it done, but there were other instances such as injuries in Hamilton, uh, Montreal stumbled down the stretch and went something like 500 in the last, you know, six games of the year. Um, I, I don't want to say the Ardos won the Snails race to first place because that would be a little bit harsh. But you know what? The Ardos are a first place team in my mind with flaws. Now, do they benefit from a week off and then watching Hamilton and Montreal literally beat themselves up on the line of scrimmage in what I think is going to be a great game this weekend for the right to go to the Argos? Absolutely. I think there's something to be said about, you know, playing one playoff game against the Great Cup versus playing two. Uh, I, I still believe that to be true. I think the numbers back the back up but if you win your division, uh, your percentages of getting to the Great Cup are much higher uh, by virtue of only having to win the one game at home. But the Argos rightfully won the division and now have a one-shot deal at home against Toronto or Montreal to get to the Great Cup, something that I don't know I had in the cards uh this year i know i didn't i had hamilton getting there and i still think they're gonna get there but you know it, it's interesting and the argo they're one of those teams that i think as we recall in the in the uh preseason, we had uh, a lot of questions about them and if this and this and this and this and this happens then they have a chance to win uh you know, win first place and, you know, they won just enough games to be able to get it done. Uh, they beat some very good teams out in the West. One of them was Winnipeg and that certainly helped them. Um, but again, it's, I'm not sold on the Art. to the first place team um, despite them finishing in first and, and a lot of it has to do with their quarterback and If they're sold on McLeod-Bethel-Thompson, then that's something that, you know, it's just going to have to happen. But I've seen way too much, you know, up and down from McLeod-Bethel-Thompson. You know, credit where credit is due. I think he has a better team around him, Mr. than he does in the
0: past. But we'll see. Well, you mentioned the preseason thoughts on the Argos. You know, I have had a lot of dumb preseason predictions over the years. We've been at this for, what, six, seven years now, and I've had some really dumb ones. Like, I'm talking throwback to that year I said Jonathan Jennings was going to be a top two or three quarterback in the CFL. Yeah, that didn't work out. Uh, But I finally got one right with a bold prediction this year when I did say and I'm I'm paraphrasing here preseason go back listen to the episode the Argos are going to surprise people and compete for one of the top two spots in the CFL this season they finished nine and five tied with the Riders for the second best record in the CFL I got one I didn't win any of my fantasy leagues this week so I gotta toot my own horn on something Uh, (laughs) um Yes, the Argos did finish first place in the East. They get the first round by here. let's start off with the East division semifinal and talk about the matchup between Hamilton and Montreal. The really juicy thing to me with this matchup is we didn't know who was going to have home field advantage in this one until this final week of the season. And, you know, Hamilton was a little bit ahead but Montreal played, played first this week. They played Friday night against Ottawa this past week. And then Hamilton played Saturday. You're thinking, okay, Montreal should be able to win this game against the Red Blacks, who had won just two games all, all, all season up to that point. And then it comes down to, you know, what's Hamilton going to do against the Riders? Well, Montreal loses to Ottawa Friday night, and all of a sudden it's locked up at that point. The Ticats host this home playoff game. The most interesting thing to me was, in that game, the, the Alouettes played William Stanback for about a quarter and a half and then sat him on the bench and went with Josh Nantwi, who, who did a great job filling in in the meantime. But the Alouettes blow it late. They lose by one point after the Red Blacks decide to go for two with 11 seconds left in the game, I think it was. A great gutsy play call by Paul Apelis. I loved it. But now that begs me, that begs the opening question for me. Did Montreal mismanage this in the final week? Should they have played a guy like Standback throughout this entire game to try to lock up that home playoff spot?
1: I am going to say no, they did not mismanage this. And the sole reason being, there is not much to separate Hamilton from Montreal. And as you recall, Stanbach had a 200 yard game in which he got dinged up in the final three minutes of that game and was seen walking to the locker room with the trainer. And I, I, I think it's a situation of, yes, we have a chance did a home playoff team. Do we risk putting our guys through that raider when, you know, we could just get ready for a for a road playoff game and have guys a little bit more rested and healthy. I think Montreal made the right decision just based on the fact that I don't believe there's much separating Hamilton from Montreal. And I believe that whether the team is in Montreal or whether the team is in Hamilton, I still believe the LOS have a chance to win that team regardless of venue. And, you know, you have to wait. Is a home game worth it? Uh, I know there's a financial windfall with it. But, you know what? You know your team the best. And if Rustin, Stavak, and others for two quarters and making sure that they are absolutely ready to go for this weekend is the right answer, then that's the right answer. And we need to just accept the fact that that is what happened.
0: No, and I agree with you because if you look at it, and I wonder if this played into the decision at all, Hamilton beat the Riders 24 to three on Saturday and the depth chart was out already. And we knew all week long, the Riders rested like all of their starters in this game, you know, they would they were playing to not have anybody injured. If need be, you know, Hamilton was probably going to, you know, play everybody in that game. Like you have to think if you're Montreal, okay, even if we win this one, you know, our chances aren't, aren't the best uh, uh, of walking up because you would need Hamilton to lose. And ultimately, you know, they, they still played a pretty good game. They just let it slip right there at the end. So Hamilton hosts Montreal in this one, Uh, two games between these two teams this year, back on August 27th, the TyCats picked up their, it was actually their first win of the year week. Number four uh, picked up a 27 10 win over Montreal they met again in week nine on October 2nd, Montreal took the win this time, 23 to 20. I believe this was a game that went to overtime after a wild finish. Um, so these have been two teams that have traded wins back and forth and have been pretty even this year, like you said. I, I guess to approach this matchup, let, let's do it. we've done this in the past and I kind of like this approach. Let's talk offense, defense, and special teams and who has the edge on each. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Hamilton side of things, it's led by presumably Jeremiah Mazzoli at quarterback. He's been the quarterback down the stretch. You've got Don Jackson, who's recently come in at running back and has given some life to the team there. And you've got a good crew of receivers there. Sounds like they'll be missing Braylon Addison and still in this game. Uh, but you've got the likes of Brandon Banks, Tim White, Stephen Dunbar, Jalen Acklin, et cetera. That's on the Hamilton side of things. Montreal side of things, it seems like uh, Trevor Harris will be the starting quarterback again. I, mean, I know we debated that a couple of weeks ago of who it would be. Uh, well Vernon Adams isn't ready to play at all in the playoffs yet this year due to injury. Max Schultz uh, hasn't really been practicing you know fully in the f- past few weeks. So it's going to be Trevor Harris. Uh, William Sandback, of course, at uh, running back, and then uh, we'll have to see if Eugene Lewis. I assume he was maybe held more precautionary out of the game last week, and would assume he'll be back for this game. But uh, Eugene Lewis, Jake Weineke, Quan Bray, Reggie White Jr., and Keon Julian Grant are your usual receivers there. Uh, offensively, which team do you like more?
1: Well. Um... You know, I, I think offensively, I, I like Montreal just a little bit more just from a standpoint, but I think they can run the ball with a little more of a proven commodity, although the quarterback uh, situation for me, I, I, I would give Harris a little bit of a light up over Mazzoli just based on track record this year. I... For the record, I throw Trevor Harris' stats with the outs right out the window just because I'm not sure what the mate of it with that whole team as the whole situation develops. But I, I think I would give the edge offensively to, to Montreal, but defensively to Hamilton,
0: if that makes any sense. Yeah, we're going to get into the defensive side of the matchup here as well. Uh, I definitely do think Montreal has the edge in the running game as well. Uh, Also, I think it's a tougher defense and that kind of ties into it. So, you know, the categories blend together. But I think Hamilton might have a hard time or a harder time with the run game here because Montreal, uh, I crunched the fantasy stats all season long and those do translate into, you know, the actual stats on the, the stats sheet. Montreal has been by far the best team in the league against the run in terms of not giving up points to running backs uh, this year. So uh, in that regard, so I could see, you know, a bit of a tough day for Don Jackson here running for Hamilton. And then we get into, you know, you know, the passing game. Jeremiah Mazzoli has seemed to have played better down the stretch or at least for a couple of weeks. Uh, for Hamilton but then also had a couple down weeks there and so a lot of people I mean I've seen a lot of Thai cats fans saying Dane Evans should start in the playoffs what do you make of that
1: wow um, yeah I, I, I don't know where I, where I sit on this um, the whole thing to me just seems a little bit curious why there's no quarterback controversy in Hamilton, as far as I'm concerned. Um, they've had a lot of injuries at key positions on the offense, running back and wide receiver. Um, and remember, you have a quarterback in only coming off a pretty serious injury from 2019, uh, which didn't allow him to finish the season. So it took him a little bit of time to to uh, get going, but I, I just, to me, I don't see the logic about a quarterback controversy in, in Hamilton. I think Mazzoli is the guy uh, you go with from the beginning to the end of this one, but I will make a bold prediction. And I don't know if it's that bold or if it's just reading the temperature in the Hamilton market. Part of me thinks we're going to see both quarterbacks in this game one way or another. Um, I, I think it's certainly worth an option that Hamilton hasn't really had to resort to this year. Um, to me, I would go into this game without a starter. And I would say, okay, only did at the first drive, so he's the, he's the starter. Things go well, great, we stay with them. Things don't go well. Okay, we throw in Dane Evans for a drive and change things up a little bit. The only other interesting kind of dynamic here is that I feel both quarterbacks are kind of built the same way-ish. Mazzoli is more the guy that to move the pocket with his legs, whereas Dane Evans strikes me as a pocket precision passer. So it's really two different quarterbacks with two different luts. I, I, if it was me... I would use both of them and use their strengths to their benefits on different drives. Uh, It it is a playoff game, all hands on deck. If you are in a jersey with cleats and you're on the depth chart, it's best to play a role in the game. And one thing I will say about this, uh, particularly, particularly with Hamilton, is and the unexpected that is a world-class defense and there will be some bitter 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 disappointment if hamilton does not find a way to win this football game and quite honestly it sounds like the aspirations of a great cup committee and what they have planned might go a little bit sideways if the hosts aren't in the great cup team now they it, they can't control that. Um, my only worry in a general sense, and I know you asked me about the quarterbacks, but how does Hamilton respond to the pressure? They have the Grey Cup at home. They have expectations based on going 15-3 and three in, in 19 and losing to the Blue Bombers. Does the pressure become too much for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and do their quarterbacks feel the pressure and does that lead to a interception or two which turns the game? If I may talk about Trevor Harris for a minute, he is one of the few quarterbacks that I would want in a playoff game mm-hmm. to be up-record with with, uh, with Ottawa and with uh, Edmonton. To me, all the pressure in the world is on Hamilton. How do they respond? And if if Montreal comes out and they land a haymaker on the first two drives, how does Hamilton get up? And more often than not, how do both of their quarterbacks kind of respond to that? Because, listen, there's regular season Trevor Harris, there's playoff Trevor Harris. We haven't really seen the playoff Jeremiah Mazzoli, and we certainly didn't see the playoff Dane Evans. Well, we saw a turnover-prone Dane Evans. So... I I really don't know what the expectations are in this football game. And that's why I say Hamilton needs to keep all options on the table to keep his season going. And if that's using two quarterbacks or even reaching further down and using David Watford, you have to do what you have to do to win this game. And all the pressure is on the home side in this
0: one. Yeah, I don't think they'll go necessarily that far. I, I think they'll pick a quarterback and stick with them, you know, maybe put Dane Evans in for short yardage. But uh, so you're saying you give slight edge offensively to Montreal. I would agree with you. I think it's very close, but I do like the added uh, effect of William Standback there. Defensive side of the ball, uh, you were saying, uh, quickly correct me if I'm wrong, you were saying you give a bit of an edge to Hamilton there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and then that's just for the reason of uh, the weapons that they have defensively. They can play you in man coverage, and they can also rush you. And they have guys that will get after the quarterback to put them on the ground. And I think they also have one of the best run defenses in the in the CFL.
0: So yeah, both, yeah, both of these defenses are two of the better in the league in terms of run, you know, running. Uh, run defenses, pass defenses, you know, besides the Bombers, they're right up there this season. So I think it's very close between the two. Uh, I would give Montreal almost a bit of an edge in the consistency department of, you know, playing steady, solid football, but I give the Ticats the edge in kind of what you talked about, the big plays. They've got the guys who can make those, you know, big plays, like a Simone Lawrence, for example, uh, to make the big uh, sack, fumble, or, you know, Interception when you need it uh, so i'm going to actually give the edge in a playoff game to the tie cats they just like you on a, a bit of a just on those big plays there, so let me get into the special teams side of things, and you have two very interesting teams here. Uh, special teams wise because uh, Montreal you've got David Cote doing the kicking and I think he's had himself, uh, you know, a pretty solid season so far at that position. Uh, and then you have a rotation of returners. We've seen almost a different guy handling it almost every week. The last couple of weeks, it's been a combo of Marty's Jackson and a Darius Pickett. Uh, and then on the Hamilton side of things, well, you've always got, you know, some good guys back there for handling returns, whether, you know, Frankie Williams is able to return or it's Brandon Banks back there last week, it was Poppy White. But they have a new kicker for the playoffs, uh, potentially. Uh, Well, last week it was DeBegela who handled it again. But Taylor Bertolet was handling kicks for most of the season. They cut him right in the final week, brought in uh, Gabriel Ferraro, who was, uh, I think, signed to the Bombers practice roster a couple weeks ago. Uh, Who do you give an edge to on special teams? I see it kind of evenly. I give the Hamilton the edge in the return game, but Montreal the edge in the kicking game.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I see that exactly the same way, and, and honestly, Ryan, I th- I see this going one of two ways, and it's likely going to go the first way. But I suggest uh, I think this is going to be an offensive struggle. Uh, I think the winning team will have to get in the mid to low twenties to win this game, like a twenty one seventeen, something of that nature. And I think when we look back at this football game, uh, I think it's really going to come down to starting field position. And I, I would not put this, this type of game against somebody getting a special teams touchdown. Uh, and Hamilton had the capability of doing that on a dime. Um, so for that perspective, i I I'd hate to diminish uh, a field goal taking and field goal attempts. But I think this game is going to be won by the return game and the ability to shift your position that way. So I'm going to go advantage Hamilton.
0: Who are you taking overall to win this game in the East Division semifinal, Hamilton or Montreal?
1: I'm going to go Montreal wins one on the road because I think uh, Trevor Harris outduels Hamilton's quarterbacks. And I think Montreal defense did just enough to win. And I think Stambath runs for 125 and uh, pushes them over the finish line.
0: Well, I'm going to agree with you on this one, buddy. I'm going Alouette's on the road here as well. Uh, For some reason this year, every time it's been a, you know, a a big key game, Hamilton has come out flat. Uh, Look no further than week 15 against the Argos, where they were competing for that first place in the division uh so i'm i'm taking montreal to win this one i like uh, you know trevor harris always comes alive in round one of the playoffs it seems uh and i'm banking on that here again he's been a you know a prolific passer been uh in terms of you know putting the touchdowns on the board since coming to montreal and i, I think he can do that again this year i also re- this week also really like you know, the consistency of Montreal's defense. I think it's a close game either way. It's going to come down to one, you know, a touchdown or less here. Uh, But I will take Montreal on the road here as well. Then we move over to the West Division semifinal. We have the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Calgary Stampeders in this one. Uh, The Riders have locked up, you know, first place in the West or second place in the West, sorry, for a couple of weeks already. Calgary kind of had you know it came down to the final two weeks of the season whether they'd make it uh, or if BC could catch them. They managed to put the Lions away uh, a couple of weeks left there in the in the in that week 15 matchup. They do beat the bombers on a last second field goal after a late comeback in you know week 16 game where a lot of the starters were resting. the riders fell in week 16. Opening thoughts on this
1: matchup between these two teams. Uh, It's going to be very simple, Ryan. Who can keep possession of the football the longest? Who can do so without turning turning it over? And who can play defense? We've seen both these teams play very good defense for an extended period of time. Uh, We've seen both these teams have the ability to put up 40-plus. I see this much the same way as the East Division, and I think if anybody knows who's going to win this game right off the hop, uh, I think you're crazy because I think you can make a chase for either side to win this game. And I think it's going to be that close. And like I said, I think if you think you know who's going to win this game, I think you're crazy. And there it is. I said it.
0: Well, and, and let's look no further than the three matchups between these teams this year, you know. Uh, three games between them. Calgary won the first one 23 17. Then they won the second one 22 19. Then Saskatchewan won the third one 20 17. So the largest margin of victory in these three games has been six points. Uh, and they were, it happened to be three games in four weeks, basically. Uh, you know, most of October, these teams had seen each other and now they see each other again here late in November. Uh, It's been close matchups. It's been low-scoring matchups for the most part between these two teams. So I'm interested to see how this one plays out. Let's talk offense first. Uh, Which team do you give the edge offensively? Uh, I I
1: Honestly, I I think this is a lot more lopsided than people are led to believe. Uh, It's one thing to have world-class receivers. It's one thing to have a world-class running back. The Riders seem to have trouble on their offensive line, which I think is Calgary's strength. Uh, I think this is Calgary offensively by a considerable margin, not let alone the quarterback with experience in the playoffs. has a point to prove after a very disappointing regular season. I'm going advantage all the way Calgary on this one.
0: Yeah, I lean towards the Stampeders as well here, just because I trust their offensive system, I think, a little bit more. You know, my big concern with the Riders all year long is that you have one of the top running backs in the league in William Powell, but just not using him effectively. The only thing is here, and, you know, it depends, I'm assuming Duke Williams will be ready to go this week for the Riders. Seemed like down the stretch there, maybe Fajardo finally found his deep ball a little bit. Uh, which could open things up here for Calgary or for the Riders against Calgary. You know, if you can hit Williams on a couple of those and Shaq Evans, uh, you know, get him going a little bit more in this game. But it's an interesting matchup because it's two quarterbacks that should be top of the game quarterbacks based on, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell, his really his whole career, and Cody Fajardo, what we saw back in 2019. But uh, it's a matchup where, you know, both of them have not necessarily lit it up this season I think we've seen them each struggle in their own way and it may come down to that run game and and they've both got talented running backs you know I talked about Powell Kadeem Carey uh, led all running backs in rushing touchdowns this year he had seven he had three more than the next best running back in the league uh, if you can believe it it was mostly quarterbacks at the top of those charts Uh, I like the way Calgary has been using him, especially down the stretch, especially in a game like this, you know, to take some pressure off of Bo Levi Mitchell. I don't think this is as far and away, you know, a difference as you are in terms of offensive talent. You know, we've seen, let's be real, last week against the Bombers, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell uh, in the first chunk of that game before Jake Mayer took over did not look good at all. He was, but it was also a vanilla offense. So what do you, what do you make of that? Right. I think it's a close one though, across the board, some high talented receivers on both sides, you know, Reggie Bagleton and Calgary. I'm excited to watch in this game. Duke Williams for the riders. Uh, I think that running backs depends how they use them. The quarterbacks, I honestly can see going either way. So uh, I'll give slight edge to Calgary. But uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying it's as big of a gap as you are. What about the defensive side of the ball? What do you see there?
1: Yeah, I see advantage of Saskatchewan here. Their defense can hold offensive to, to, to very little points. Uh, Calgary's defense didn't start very well. Uh, to their credit, they were able to rebound. When they need a shot, when the Stats will need the big play for more defense, they get it, it seems. And not as wide of a gap offensively, but I still see advantage riders.
0: Yeah, defensive side of the ball. This one's a tough one for me because the riders have been shutting teams down pretty well, as you mentioned. But uh, I think Calgary's defense has really picked up their game down the stretch. Um... I don't honestly know which way to go. I might call this one even on the defensive side of the ball. I think Calgary's added some players that have really helped shut things down there. Uh, and I, I think this is going to be pretty even across the board. Both teams have those big playmakers. I would maybe go slight edge riders here on defense. You know, they do have two of the league leaders in the sack department. Uh, I think AC Leonard did lead the league in sacks. Uh, Jonathan Woodard was second there. But Calgary's got guys right behind that. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to call it a split or maybe a slight edge riders here on defense. Special team side of things, uh, where do you go there?
1: I'm calling this even down the middle here. I'm not going to split hairs. I mean, Brett Lauder and Renee Purdy are two of the best teachers in the CFL. The punters are pretty good, too. I, I call this split down the middle. Let's not split hairs on it.
0: Yeah, that's fair to me. I'll give slight edge to Calgary because, you know, Rene Paradis has been very, very consistent. Uh, I think Cody Grace also has done an excellent job of punting there. You know, the Riders are likely without John Ryan. So they're, you know, they're on their backup Uh, kicker, uh, punter right now, Kari Vedvik. Um, Return game, I would probably call equal. Both teams seem to, you know, rotate guys in. Uh, so I'll give slight edge to Calgary, but uh, close to even there as well for this game. Uh, what's, what's the most notable thing, and maybe you've answered this already in, in this game for this one, but what's the most notable thing for you in this matchup that's going to make the difference? Yeah, yeah, I
1: agree, and I, I think we're going to see one thing come very quick. We did the forefront. I think it's the offense that can come up with the biggest play, the quickest. I think one big play decides this thing, and I think it's going to be an 85 or 86-yard catch and run that's going to be the difference in a game, but I think it's dominated by the defense. The one big play offensively seals this thing.
0: Now, it's interesting when, when now that we get into our picks for this game, uh, you know, I, the Riders are the home playoff team, but I almost feel like I see a lot more people leaning towards the Calgary, picking Calgary in this game, maybe based on, you know, how they played down the stretch. It kind of feels like, you know, the Riders have stalled offensively, backed themselves into a defensive win here, where Calgary's looked pretty good down the stretch. I'm, I'll go first on this one. I'm going, all, I'm going road team in both these games. I'm taking the stamps to come into Ryderville and take a win here and to meet the Bombers in the West Final. I, I, th- I think it's going to be close, and I, I like the, the stamps a little bit more in this game. I like, you know, I think it's going to come down to Kadeem Carey. He was the MOP candidate for the, for the Stampeders this year, and I think he's going to show why in this game. I'm taking, I'm taking uh, Calgary.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, I'm still going back and forth on this one. Um, oh, boy. Um, I'm going to put the Riders to win a close one. I just think they get the big play. Um, everybody's been crapping about Cody Fajardo's arm strength, and he hasn't gotten the big play lately, and William Powell hasn't run the ball. Why don't I just say this is the game? But William Powell breaks out and runs for a hundred yards and takes the pressure off Cody Pizarro. The Riders get one or two touchdowns from Duke Williams and they ride the defense to a close victory. I'm going to Riders at home and am I confident about that pick? Absolutely not. But why not have a bomber? Rider game, but I'm to go to the great cup. So I'm the one riders, and they're gonna win
0: 24-18. All right. Uh, so we disagree on this pick then. I I think both of these games are gonna be fantastic. You know, uh, regular season is coming gone. We're seeing two great matchups here in the opening round of the playoffs, and I think it's only gonna get better. Uh, also in the division finals and once we get to the Gray Cup as well, of course, let's go through quickly and make our remaining picks for who takes home the prize. Uh, Let's go back to the East here. We both had Montreal beating Hamilton. So we both have Montreal and Toronto in the East division final. Uh, We'll talk more obviously about the Argos and whoever they play next week in depth. Uh, but uh, assuming Toronto, Montreal in the East final, which team are you taking to head to the Grey Cup out East?
1: Okay, you know what? I'm going to give you my Grey Cup matchup at Mosul for me. okay? That's fine. I have the Montreal OS playing. the want to play Blue Bombers in the Grey Cup. All right, all right. So,
0: So you're taking Montreal over Toronto, why?
1: Yeah, I've been Montreal pulled it out by less than seven points. I think McLeod, Beffle, Thompson, throw some costly interceptions.
0: I am going to, in that matchup, I'm going to take Toronto side of things. I think the Argos have been uh, fantastic at home for the most part this season. That's where they've played their best football. Uh, You know, the fans that show up, I, I think they're going to pack the house there for this playoff game, and, you know, BMO Field is loud, and I think that's going to propel the Argos to a win. They're going to get some help, probably, with Eric Rogers being back in the lineup, which should help a fine bit there. Close game here again, but I'm going to take the Argos to represent the East Division in the Gray Cup. Uh, West Division, you had Winnipeg-Saskatchewan in the uh, Division Finals there, and you had Winnipeg you said going to the Grey Cup. Uh, why, why the Bombers over the Riders? I, I think the Bombers have a little bit
1: more offensively. I like the Bombers' run game over over Saskatchewan. I hit the Bombers they are going to grind and pound them basically coming off the bye week. And then I think the Bombers' dominant defense at screwing six minutes in the salary game just pushes them over the finish line. And I, I, I really was... Bullish on will the Bombers win the West Final. I I watched the game. uh, The last six minutes to me of that Calgary game, absolutely zero concern on my part. Kalalos played the whole game. Uh, When Kalalos was in the game, they looked very good. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very cold. And I put the Bombers in a close one.
0: I'm t- I I had my West final as Winnipeg and Calgary. I am taking the Bombers to head back to the Grey Cup as well. Uh, you know, in that Week 16 game, Calgary didn't even get to Winnipeg's side of the field until I think fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, and then that comeback happened in that one. It's been a dominant defense all season long, and I see them stepping up here once again in the playoffs. Uh, and uh, you know, offensively with Zach Coaros back in. Uh, rolling nicely as well it will be another close game both games have come down to a last minute field goal between Winnipeg and Calgary and uh, maybe it does in this one and uh, what poetic justice it would be if after all the struggles of the kicking game all season long uh, Sergio Castillo uh, hits himself a nice long field goal to win this game for the Bombers Uh, I, I really as a Winnipeg fan really hope and pray it doesn't come down to that because I think my heart might fall out of my chest onto the you know, floor in front of me at IG Field if it comes down to that final play. Uh, but uh, if it does, you know, I, I either way, I, I see this one going to the Bombers. I see them heading back to the Grey Cup here. So uh, I have Winnipeg and Toronto in the Grey Cup. You have Winnipeg, Montreal. Who are you taking to win the 108th Grey Cup? Well, it was done in
1: 2019, Who says it can't be done in 2021? The team that wins the Grey Cup wins two games on the road and wins the Grey Cup. I think Montreal over Winnipeg in a very close, hard-fought Grey Cup game. And I I think Montreal didn't win the Grey Cup.
0: Wow. All right. We're disagreeing on this one. I am taking the repeat here, Mike. I, I have to, I, I can't, I just have to, I, I am, not, you know, I am a little bit worried of the Bombers are the Thai Cats of 2019. I'll say that I don't think it's run away easy. Uh, but if I'm taking this Winnipeg Toronto matchup, you know, the Bombers that was arguably their worst game of the year when they played Toronto earlier this season, still only lost by seven points in that game. They've really come into their own throughout this whole year. Uh, I could see a situation where, you know, the defense and the likes of Willie Jefferson, Jackson, Jeffco, just come alive and uh, throw McLeod Bethel Thompson off his game early in this one and the Bombers take it home. So uh, I'm hoping this happens obviously, and I'm predicting it happens. We will see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers repeat as Grey Cup champions in 2021.
1: I have a question for you, and this has to do with the lines of predictions. And the reason I want to ask this this week is because uh, I, I feel that the question needs to be answered this week before we record next week's show. The question is this: Is Andrew Harris the Blue Bombers' running back in the West final?
0: Ooh, that's a tough one for me. Like. The storyline is there, right, for Harris to come back in the West Final, lead the team to the Grey Cup, and, and then and then win the Grey Cup. Like, the storyline is there, and then ride off into the sunset. I'm not sure, because we don't really know where he's at right now. I, I, I could see a situation where West Final, they stick with Oliver or Augustine, and then all of a sudden Harris comes back and plays the Grey Cup, Perhaps. I'll say this, I'll make, you want a bold prediction? Starting running back West final, Johnny Augustine. I think he showed it uh, in, that, in that season finale and in the times he's played this year. I see a little more jump in a step than I've seen from Brady Oliveira. I, I think Johnny Augustine, I think they should use a dual back system of them both, but I think I'd roll with him if you're with you, as your starter if uh, Andrew Harris isn't ready to go.
1: Yeah, I, I think, to be honest with you, I I have never felt, despite Andrew Harris and his value to the Blue Bombers, quite honestly, they've been without him so much this year. I think it would be great if he plays, but I wouldn't be overly shocked and overly worried and overly disappointed in, oh, no, If he didn't play, you know what I mean? They have the depth. So, like, we're so used to playing without him, but I don't think it really matters. I just wanted to ask the question, and I think my Grey Cup prediction would change to Winnipeg if I knew that Andrew Harris was going to play in the football team because Andrew Harris is just that much of a dominant person. And... It could be, but hey, they're saving them for the last final and uh, great up to say, hey, you know what, your help isn't great. Can you give us 25 carries? Can you give us five blocks? And then worry about the off season, right? So the other other side of this is we played so well without them, but I, I'm not even sure it matters. I just, I just thought I'd bring it up.
0: Well, let me also bring something up for you, Mike. Uh, I, I think that's unlikely to happen. Uh, the timing would need to be pretty dang soon at the point of recording this late Wednesday night. Uh, but one, Chris strevler has been released by the Arizona Cardinals this week. Uh, I know a lot of bomber fans have been secretly hoping, you know, getting their hopes up. Would it not be the dream scenario for a team that in the past two weeks of the season has been, uh, you know, showcasing their backup quarterbacks, uh, which haven't, you know, been a been a delight to watch, so to say, haven't exactly had the best performances. Would it not be the dream scenario for Chris Strever to come back? Be the bombers backup, get in for a couple packages, and uh, then uh, commence the same good old uh, Grey Cup celebration on Portage and Maine and at the Forks and all those fun places, and let Chris Strevler join the party.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: I, I don't think it's going to happen, though. I, I, th- I think it's too much, too quick of a turnaround. Uh, I could see him maybe next season if he doesn't get anything in the NFL coming back. But uh, would you agree with me? It's unlikely to happen this year.
1: Here's the thing. Okay, we've been at this for how long? As, you know, batter quarterbacks in Winnipeg. and I cannot recall a more beloved batter quarterback and Chris Traveler. We're having this discussion about people clamoring to have Traveler signed for the West Final. I mean, think about how remarkable that is. A bat up quarterback. It's just amazing. It's just amazing how, you know, one can just. Build off of what was so amazing and try to rekindle that fire. And I cannot recall the hype about, you know, get this guy a backup quarterback position. And I mean, he's the backup quarterback. He's not the starter. Like this hoopla over a bathtub It just it's it's no, remarkable. It's... I I can't I. I just I can't ever recall a team being so giddy about you know signing a bat, quarterback. It's just it's just amazing to me, and I'm not trying to slight Chris Traveler. I I just find it really really interesting, and I think a lot of people are looking at you know the quarterbacks that came in for Collaros, and should he take the one hit, you know what do we have left? Well a very interesting concept.
0: I, I mean, let's be real. I think half of us here in Winnipeg, half the fans, you know, even if he doesn't play, probably still want the Bombers to sign him to a contract so that he can come and join the party if they do go on to win the Great Cup. But uh, of course, that's a different story. So we'll see what transpires there. We'll see what transpires in the West and East Division semifinals this week. We've made our Great Cup picks. Mike's got Montreal beating the Bombers. I've got the Bombers beating the Argos. uh, And we'll see if that changes next week based on who moves on to the division finals this weekend. Uh, As we wrap up our annual playoff preview show, Mike, anything you want to plug? And uh, where can people find everything you got going on these days?
1: Oh yeah, just find everything on uh, GameTimeTV.ca. There's a lot of content coming out. Uh, that one more announcement, believe it or not, that I'm hiding. Uh it should be announced by the time the next uh, podcast comes out here next week, uh before then. Uh I just want to thank everybody for their support and I'll hold my thoughts on the CFO Outdoor Selections uh until next week's show.
0: Sounds good. Check out everything Mike's got going on there. You can also follow him on Twitter at Mike Gerald to see everything he's tweeting about over there as well for myself. uh, If you're interested in the fantasy side of the CFL uh, you know, we don't talk a whole ton of fantasy here on this show, but I do cover it each and every week over on YouTube at the Canadian football fantasy fix. Uh, You can look that up on YouTube. I went through, you know, all the positional previews, depth charts, everything throughout the regular season, and we're continuing it in the playoffs, CFL fantasy resets for the playoffs, you know, a shorter, a smaller roster size, less money available. So you got to tinker with the models, perhaps a little bit, uh, potentially, but uh, a new chance to hit the top of the leaderboard. So check out the Canadian football fantasy fix for all your CFL fantasy needs. Follow me on Twitter as well at Cooper Trooper 42 starts with a K uh, to find all of the uh, CFL fantasy related tweets there as well for our show you can find us uh, on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM you can find us on Facebook as well. Whichever podcast platform you are currently listening on, uh, we would appreciate you if you do all the fun things like uh, commenting, subscribing, following, liking, upvoting, sharing, whatever you, whatever they are on the platform. Everyone has a different name for it. Uh, do all the things. We would appreciate it. Uh, help us grow the show as we continue to talk through the playoffs yet this year. Looking forward to some playoff football. Make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well, uh, as they all amp up for playoff time. Uh, at Network on Twitter is where you can find all of those great shows. Also, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks as always for listening. Enjoy the first round of the playoffs, and we'll be back next week to preview the division finals here uh thanks for listening take care have a good one bye bye